today on Ag News Daily. We had uh, pigweeds that were close to six foot tall, and uh, we could spray them with a solution of 50% water, 50% glyphosate, which I know is off-label, but uh, to prove a point, that we that we did not even wilt it. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. And today we are sponsored by Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. I'm Delaney Howell, joined today by Ashton Carr. Ashton, what do you know today? Well, I don't know much. I really haven't been doing a whole lot today. I did some early morning work, which for those of you who know a little bit about me is um, not on brand for me. I'm typically a late sleeper, but I've been getting up earlier just because I have this new pup walking around. And so did some early work this morning, went to the chiropractor, and now I'm sitting back at my desk doing the podcast with you. Well, we're proud of you that you're becoming a morning person. It has been a difficult transition to say the least, but I think that I would do anything for Atlas now. I'm like full dog mom mode. I didn't think I'd ever be one of those people, but my whole camera role is him now. My whole life revolves around him now. So I am shamelessly a a proud dog mom. Well, Ashton, after you graduate from grad school, you need to get like a cow or a pig to have (laughs) I have, I have seen people have some pretty funny emotional support animals. So I don't know, maybe a mini horse would be a great option. A teacup. There you go. The, the options are endless, really. They are. And you're, you're an adult, so you can have any animal that you want. I know I'm a little bit nervous to actually have adult money because I'm a very much buy on impulse kind of person. So I'm going to have to learn some restraint before that time. Well, maybe another conversation we should be having on the podcast is budgeting because I know that now is a really timely point in the year when a lot of producers are having those budgeting slash operation note questions with their bankers that's a little different from what you've got going on but certainly might be a timely topic to have at this point in time you know I just might could learn a thing or two there Delaney so I don't think you're too far off with that idea so I'm gonna have to jot that down in my notes because I think it could be beneficial for quite a few folks absolutely it certainly could but Ashton it's beneficial we probably hop into some news for today and I've got a couple of pork related pieces here right off the top of the bat one of which comes to us from Thailand on Monday they denied accusations that they were involved in a cover-up of an outbreak of African swine fever after a university lab tested positive cases last week in a pet pig that had died from the disease. Thai authorities have allegedly for years been denying that there's been any sort of a local outbreak through their country based on African swine fever. And they said their livestock department came out in a public statement and said that, quote, they've followed every procedure and we haven't covered it up. But certainly authorities are starting to question that outside of the borders, especially because Thailand is pretty close to China, where, of course, we're still continuing to see some of that reported as new cases. So Europe and Asia both, I believe, have authorities stepping in on this matter and calling into question whether or not uh they have been covering up that piece of news. But I also have another piece of quick pork-related news here, Ashton. 
Earlier this week at the American Farm Bureau Federation meeting on Monday, Secretary Vilsack apparently neglected to tell a largely farm audience that we have received official word that India has agreed to allow imports of U.S. pork and pork products, which was made in an announcement by U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai. U.S. officials and pork industry folks noted that it's taken nearly two decades to reopen talks and finally get pork back into the country of India. But really, this is a big move, Ashton, because as you look at the world's population, I've included this in a couple of speeches, so I know it fairly well off the top of my head. India has debatably one of the largest up-and-coming populations. Of course, China is still right up there at the top, too. But as you look at their total population there in India of folks that would potentially eat pork, because they obviously have a lot of folks that are Muslim in their country. They've got a large sect of Christian folks, Muslim and Hindu. So they all kind of eat different types of meat. But basically, the audience that we're serving there in India is equivalent to the entire U.S. population. So about 330, 330 million folks in the country of India are potential pork consumers that now we get to tap into a new marketplace for. So certainly sounds like a win for U.S. pork production. Well, Delaney, that's certainly a lot to digest there, especially going back, you know, to that African swine fever story. I think that that's quite the allegation if they were covering this up, especially because I think the whole world is really taking African swine fever seriously, or, you know, I suspect that they should be taking it seriously. And I actually have some ASF news myself because we have seen nine wild boars in Hungary test positive for African swine fever. Four boars were found dead and the others were killed. So they are not running rampant across the country, or at least these nine that did test positive aren't running around. I suspect that there are some other positive cases there in wild boar, but just a a small update there when it comes to that little piece of African swine fever news. But bringing things back domestically, I have some Supreme Court news because the court refused to hear an ethanol industry appeal to reinstate year-round sales of E15. A federal appeals court ruled back in July of 2021 that the EPA exceeded its authority in approving summertime sales of E15 in 2019. So this has been going on for a little while now, and we have even already heard uh, from the ethanol industry on really what's going to happen next. Emily Score, who we have talked to before from Growth Energy, who sought out the Supreme Court review of E15, said that growth energy, quote, will continue to explore all potential avenues to make unfettered access to E15 a reality. The Clean Air Act provides ample authority for EPA to pave the way for the expansion of E15 nationwide and year-round and increase access to cleaner fuel for all Americans. So I don't think that this is the last that we're going to be hearing about E15, Delaney. No, it certainly sounds not. I'm sure we're going to see this really not received well by the ethanol and agricultural industry. And I'm sure there's a battle that is ensuing there. But Ashton, you know, one product of ethanol does happen to be DDGs. And we've got some interesting news coming out of China today regarding U.S. DDGs. China's Commerce Ministry said on Tuesday that it is going to maintain anti-dumping and anti-subsidy tariffs on imports of distillers' grains. 
The ministry said that they will be conducting an expiry review investigation on the anti-dumping and anti-subsidy measures imposed on DDG imports from the U.S. from January 12th, and it should end before January 12th of 2023. They said that corn prices in China are still high and corn processors are facing tight margins there in the country. And if U.S. DDGs were to come into China, that would further pressure margins for those domestic Chinese plants. So currently, I believe the tariff rate on U.S. DDGs headed to China is somewhere around 33.8%. As of 2016, those were actually risen in 2017 to their current level, which will remain at a 425 to 53% tariff rate quota. So you're basically paying one and a half times what that product is actually worth for those folks there in China to import DDGs into the marketplace. But we still may see that come to fruition there. You know, it's interesting how geopolitical events play into some of that. I won't share too much on that, but uh, definitely might be some other things happening behind the scenes we just certainly aren't aware of. Well, Delaney, just have one other thing that I want to talk about today, and it's really shedding a different light when it comes to climate change and buying local. So, of course, we know that climate change has really gotten a bad rap, especially Agriculture has gotten a bad rap because of climate change, but a state climatologist who I I didn't know that that was a thing, but Trent Ford of Illinois says that it's not all gloom and doom when it comes to climate change. In fact, it's creating some opportunities for specialty crop growers. He points out that the growing trend of warmer winters in areas like the Great Lakes region of the U.S., provide different opportunities to some of these specialty crops. He told Brownfield Ag News that climate change has also triggered an increased interest in locally sourced produce. So, you know, in turn, buying local rather than buying at your supermarket could also lend a hand to decreasing or I should say improving climate change because we're not, um, you know, putting as much emissions out when we're, you know, shipping in these ingredients to the supermarket. But I thought it was pretty interesting because Ford says that while there are plenty of negatives when looking at the climate change picture as a whole, farmers can be more productive if they look at the issue from all angles and consider that in their farming management strategies. So just wanted to shine a light on that, Delaney. Absolutely, Ashton. And one other thing I wanted to shine a light on for today was, I guess we'll call it a potential concern because really we don't have any concrete evidence as to if this will drastically impact the supply chain or not. But due to the latest round of COVID-19 variant, the Omicron, Reuters has reported today that a rising number of U.S. meatpacking plant workers have been forced or have shown positive cases in COVID-19 and have been forced to slow down meat production in a number of in a number of different facilities, Cargill, Bung, uh, Cargill, JBS, and others, Tyson, I believe as well, have reported that plant lines are slowing down a little bit. Cargill said that a few of their plants have also had just lower slaughtering capacity altogether, as well as decreased shifts. But, you know, we really just are kind of within the last 
I don't know, six months or so. It, it took us quite a while to get through and sort through all of the issues caused in 2020 by a lack of slaughter capacity. And it appears that we may have to deal with that a little bit more again this year, this go around with the latest COVID case, COVID variant. But the USDA reported in their cattle on feed report last week that kill levels are down about 6% from a year earlier. So we certainly are seeing that data reflected and confirmed by the USDA that we are in fact slowing down ever so slightly. Well, Delaney, I am all out of news for today, so I'm ready to hop into the markets if you are. Well, Ashton, before we get to today's markets, which traded pretty neutral ahead of the WASDI report, let's hear a quick message from our sponsor for today, FMC. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. We saw a little bit just slight trade today, nothing too volatile or nothing too wild ahead of this week's WASD report. March corn finished a penny and a half higher at 601. The May up a penny and a quarter, closing at 602 and a half. Soybeans up one and three quarters cents today in the March contract, ending at 1386 and a half. The Nove down a half a cent, closing right on the nose at $13. Chicago wheat really was the only market to see some major moves today as the March contract added eight and a quarter cent, closing at 770 and a quarter. The May up nine and three quarters cents, closing at 773 and a quarter. Hopping over to take a look at livestock today, we saw mixed trade across the protein markets with cattle mostly higher and lean hogs lower. February live cattle today up a dollar forty two and a half, closing at a buck thirty seven sixty seven. The April up sixty two and a half cents, closing at one forty one twenty. In the feeder cattle markets, the March contract added a dollar today, closing a buck sixty six thirty five. The April up sixty seven and a half cents, closing at a dollar seventy. And in lean hogs, the February contract today shed fifty two and a half cents, closing at seventy seven eighty five. The April down fifty cents, closing at eighty four twenty. Lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. February up fifty five cents today, closing at twenty two ten. The March up fifty six cents, closing at twenty two oh nine. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday. For today's Tech Tuesday segment, we are talking to Dave Button, who is the founder of Row Shaver. Dave, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. My pleasure. So, Dave, before we get started talking about Row Shaver, which I think is a, a fantastic name, first of all, I want to talk a little bit more about you and your background in agriculture and the tech space as well. So, why don't you give us the rundown? Well, my uh, my egg background started as a child. Uh, grew up on a family farm here in uh, in central Kansas. We farm wheat, milo, corn, soybeans, and uh, and alfalfa. So my my background is very deep into farming. I decided at a at an early age in high school that I w- wanted to be a, a mechanical engineer. Went to K State, 
Uh, go cats, by the way. <laughs> and uh, about halfway through, I decided to take a little different path. Uh, got into the aviation world as a as an aircraft mechanic, and started working at Cessna. Uh, worked for a company called Pratt and Whitney. They build engines for uh, for aircraft. And then I spent a long uh, long stint with Beach Aircraft. Uh, left there as director of tech support for any propeller powered product worldwide. And that's a mouthful, but uh, kept me busy anyway. Dad decided to retire about 15 years ago and uh, made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So I moved back here to the family farm and have uh, been loving it ever since. So Dave, how did you go from going back to the family farm to then starting Row Shaver? Row Shaver was a uh, kind of one of those concepts where you spend too much time in the co- in the combine or in the tractor, and you start seeing uh, the the phenomenon called uh, herbicide resistant weeds. We've uh, we've been experiencing that for a good 12, 15 years here on on our farm. And uh, just to make a a short example, we have a field just literally south of our house. We had soybeans uh, planted in that field. And uh, pigweeds started to take over one particular end of the field. We had uh, pigweeds that were close to six foot tall, and uh, we could spray them with a solution of 50% water, 50% glyphosate, which I know is off-label. But uh, to prove a point, that we that weed did not even wilt. It uh, it just stood there and laughed at me, basically. So at that point, we decided we needed to do something different. And over the course of, of that winter, we came up with the concept of the row shaver. It's, uh, it's actually a two-part system. The row shaver itself cleans out weeds between the rows. It's, uh, it's built on a, on a typical ag toolbar with row units that uh, can accommodate literally any size of rows uh, from about 20 inches to 40 inches. We can adjust the size of the cut just by changing the size of the blades all hydraulically driven with a um, an onboard engine and, and hydraulic pumps. So that that takes care of all the weeds. Now, now you got to remember, the row shaver itself is not a weed-killing uh, platform, so to speak. Our concentration is getting rid of herbicide-resistant weed seeds. Get rid of the seed uh, soil bank, and you're going to start to reduce the uh, the number of resistant seeds. Along with the uh, with the row shaver, we have a second implement called a row trimmer. It literally looks like a, a combine head stripped down to just a, a small reel and a sickle bar, and it uh, it cleans the weeds, seeds, flowers, pods, anything that grows above the crop canopy, so that we can, can again control that weed seed uh, production on any of the weeds that come up through the crop canopy. So this is essentially, I'm going to dumb this down quite a bit, but this is essentially kind of like a lawnmower that runs right over top of corn, soybeans, et cetera, like uh, over top of the, of the crop to get rid of weeds. It runs down through the, uh, through the rows between the, the mm-hmm. crops. And then, and then the second implement goes over the top. Okay. So we've, we've addressed the two areas uh, with, with two implements. And how has this so far changed the seed pods or the seeds that you've been trying to get rid of? What kind of results have you seen? We've seen a pretty good uh, reduction in in the uh, number of herbicide-resistant weeds. 
Uh, we're still you know, using conventional pre and post herbicides, but there's always weeds that, uh, that get away. And in this, this very same field that we're talking about, we've seen a, a reduction in, uh, in the weeds that come back or that live through the, the spray jobs, in other words, that uh, is reduced at a great deal. Uh, don't have numbers to put to it, but year after year usage of this machine has greatly reduced our resistance seeds. So Dave, I want to talk about coverage here because you're working with quite a few different crops, really um, a, a ton of row crops here, but I want to talk about where you guys are at. Do you have um, you know, dealers or systems across the nation? Is it really just in maybe the Corn Belt region of the U.S.? What can you say for that? We can actually accommodate just about any crop that is, that is grown in a row. It could be anywhere in the United States, worldwide, uh, literally any, any tillage system, uh, whether it be conventional till, no-till. But the most, most emphasis we're looking at is the organic world. Guys that can't spray any chemicals on a, on a crop and want to reduce the, uh, the weeds that are in their crop, this, this is a great tool for that. We're just at the infant stage of ready to, uh, we're ready to start selling units. Um, what I want to do is actually set up a dealer network because what we do is, is mount the row shaver or the row trimmer on the front of a front boom sprayer. A uh, couple reasons for that. Number one, you need to have it on the front of, a, of whatever power, power plant that you're using. You've got to be able, you don't want to trample the weeds in, a, in that row. It, it's just like the little rough areas in front of your push mower at home. Uh, you, you want to make sure you have a good clean cut. Secondly, you want to be above the crop canopy. If you put it on the back end of a tractor, uh, after the crop gets to about 18, 20 inches, you start start laying down crop and get crop injury. So that's the, the reasoning for it. Now, it doesn't make a lot of sense for someone to, to bring their sprayer all the way back here to the central Kansas to, to install a row shaver or roach trimmer. So what we'd like to do is set up a, a network of dealers, uh, obviously tractor dealers, uh, sprayer dealers would be be the ideal, and let them install kits uh, as we develop them for different sprayers. Or uh, we've actually found that corn detasslers make a perfect platform for uh, for our machine as well. Well, we're going to take a quick break here, chatting with Dave from Row Shaver to hear from today's sponsor. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Dave, you sparked a question in my head, and I guess I'm talking specifically for corn here, but is there an ideal size that that corn plant needs to stay with under to use the row shaver system? Corn would have to stay under uh, about 45 to 50 inches. The, uh, the reason being is the, the row shaver unit itself is about 42 inches tall. You don't want to knock over your your crop, obviously, and by that point, you're you're getting pretty close to uh, canopy closure. So that would be the ideal time to use it on uh, on corn. 
Now, when you're in soybeans, um, you want to get in there before canopy closure. We have found that, uh, and this is on our own fields, that if you don't get in there before the canopy closes, it's not a matter of, of problems with the machine. It's problems with guidance. You can't see where you're going, basically. So you've, you've got to get into the crop before the canopy closes. Now, we yep. grow quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of sorghum, uh, Milo mm. around here, and it works extremely well on Milo. Um, had great results this last year in and again our fields we got in there just before uh, before the plant started to shoot a head out and that was great for two reasons one obviously the canopy was was getting close to clo closing um, and we're growing on 30 inch rows here by the way and secondly when we came back across to uh, to get the weeds in the that are growing up in between the rows intercrop in other words uh, the plant was still small enough that we, uh, we've got obviously sunflowers, velvet leaf, uh, a lot of mare's tail. It did a great job in, in stunning all of those plants and taking care of, uh, of the weed seeds that would have been, would have been developed and dropped into the field, um, on any of those weeds intercrops. So we, gotcha. uh, we would like to try it. We'd like to try it on cotton. We have not done that yet. We're a little far north for the cotton world. Uh, but, uh, uh, I know getting rid of the debris in between the rows on uh, on cotton is very important for the, obviously the quality of your cotton. Uh, same same type of issue on any of the other row crops, whether it be bean, especially on beans. You just don't want to run all that weed debris through your combine either. So that's where uh, where the row shaver really shines on uh, on soybeans. So Dave, you mentioned that you're looking to build a dealer network, which we'll get back to here in a second, but you also mentioned that you're kind of just entering into the commercialization. Do you have any ideas yet about price range for this piece of technology? If we've got some organic non-GMO type of folks that are listening and think, yeah, that might work for my operation. Well, my my only hesitation on giving a price is due to the size of the, of the implement that somebody wants to build. Um, obviously, more rows, the more expense. Um, and it all all depends on what platform that you're going to mount a row shaver row trimmer on. It uh, it's all hydraulically driven, so it, it takes quite a bit of hydraulic flow capacity to uh, to be able to operate. So depending upon if your machine uh, has enough hydraulic capacity, and that's why I mentioned corn detasselers, they have quite a bit of hydraulic capacity. Uh, you could run. Uh, Oh, at least a seven or eight row unit on a corn detasseler without having to add the auxiliary engine and hydraulic pumps that you would have to add on a, uh, on a small sprayer. So just to give you a ballpark, um, and prices of everything fluctuate wildly right now during our, our little mm -hmm. COVID problem. Um, we could be anywhere from 7,500 to 9,500, uh, per row if, if you don't have to install an auxiliary engine, but unfortunately we can thank our EPA friends that are putting some great requirements on, uh, on auxiliary, on any kind of diesel engine. Uh, the price of those little units is, is outrageous, I think, but uh, nonetheless, it, if you have to add the pumps and the hydraulic and the, and the engine, you're, you're looking at somewhere in the 12 to $14,000 range per row. 
And we've got all kinds of accessories that can be added to it as well, depending upon on your needs. So, Dave, we're kind of coming to the end of our conversation here. With that being said, how can our listeners get in contact with you, learn more um, about Row Shaver? Where are you guys at online? We've got a, a website, very, very simply, rowshaver.com. We've got a lot of videos of, uh, of different operations here, at, literally on our own farm, that, uh, that show how the row shaver works, uh, row trimmer as well. We, uh, we have a Twitter page. We've got Facebook as well. Um, literally just Google uh, row shaver and you'll get links to every one of our, uh, our different outlets. So we'd, uh, we'd like to close with one little statement here that, uh, kind of the theme song of our, our whole, uh, our whole endeavor is that weeds can't grow resistant to steel. Well, Dave, thank you again for coming on and chatting with us for today's Tech Tuesday segment. Thanks again there to Dave for coming on and chatting about Row Shaver today. Like we always say, Delaney, it's really interesting to hear more from the ag tech world. And today was no different. Absolutely, Ashton. Certainly interesting, too, to think that this product really is geared more towards the organic and non-GMO space, which seems like it maybe doesn't get quite as much technology thrown its way. And it's definitely a harder industry to produce commodities for. So awesome that we're seeing that new piece of technology come to light there. But we're always talking about new, awesome things going on in the business of agriculture. Be sure to check out all of our past episodes at Ag News Daily and find us on social media. Connect with us. Share with us what interviews you'd like to see us bring to light here over the next couple of weeks or so. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Agnews Daily. With that, Ashton, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.